on the front of the curve, so to speak. Uh, we're good traditional Midwesterners, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but we're even beginning to see that some here in St. Louis, is that people are, are claiming that they're very spiritual, but they have disconnected with the idea of going to a church to explore what that means. So people are basically saying, I am spiritual, I understand that, I'm not, I'm not just physical, I'm, I'm spiritual, I have a relationship with uh, God on some level, whoever that God may be, but I don't need church to help me figure that out, I can kind of do it on my own. Uh, in other words, they're no longer uh, coming, they're no longer uh, seekers, the term that Bill Hybels a few years ago uh, made very famous, the people that were seeking out faith. Uh, and so the question is no longer kind of, if you build it, they will come, so to speak, The question really has become, where are you and I going? Where are you going to go this week? Where am I going to find myself this week? You see, the the church, as people are are continuing to say we're spiritual, but they've disengaged from uh, coming to church, they don't associate their spiritual journey with necessarily with organized religion, the church has become more isolated. Our response hasn't been, well, well, we need to go out into the highways and byways, and we, we need to find people in every walk of life and continue to, to share the gospel. So instead of, instead of thinking they'll come to us, we need to go to them. What's happened is the church has just disengaged. And studies are showing that, that, that there's more of a divide and more of a separation between the Christian community and the non-Christian community than ever before. Where are you going this week? Jesus didn't say to us, as folks come to you, make disciples. What did Jesus say? As you go into the world, as you are going, make disciples. Where are you going to be this week? The school, walking down the halls of Kirkwood High School or Westminster or other schools in our community. You're going to be in your office working alongside folks, maybe at a sporting event. Uh, Maybe your kids play soccer or one of the spring sports, and you're going to be standing uh, outside a field this week along with a lot of other parents watching their children, or maybe you're participating in sporting events this week. Maybe you're going to a graduation ceremony or graduation party, perhaps a wedding. Uh, This is the wedding season. I have uh, five weddings of which I'm officiating a green tree, uh, and and I haven't done any of them yet, and they'll all be over by June the 10th. (laughs) This is the wedding season. I will be at lots of weddings. I'll probably see many of you. Uh, at weddings. You're going to be at the grocery store, the dry cleaners. You're going to be in your neighborhood, leaning on the back fence, talking with the person across the way. Where is the church going this week? Because where you go, if you're a disciple of Jesus, where I go as a disciple of Jesus, that's where the church goes. Paul talks about going to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Let's hear a little bit about his journey and what we could maybe apply to our lives today. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul writes, and I... When I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you a testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, the worship team has has just sung, give us your eyes that we may see. Father, that is the prayer of our hearts this morning. Give us eyes to see the truth that is found in this passage of Scripture. And then the understanding, the discernment to know how it applies to Green Tree Community Church, to how it applies to our lives as 
a family of believers, as well as our lives as individual disciples. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to our own lives and to where we are engaging or disengaging with our culture. Father, I pray that you would help us to see that perhaps repentance is the order of the day. That we have not cared for those who are lost with the same compassion that you have exhibited. We have celebrated your supper this morning, which is a manifestation of your coming to this world. Father, how many people did I seek out this week? Just to befriend, just to care for. The opportunity of sharing something about your great grace with them. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would impact my heart this morning, impact our hearts. This is a joyful message. This is an astounding opportunity that is before us. So may we not bury our heads in the sand. May we not uh, think it's for someone else. But may we see that this is our time. This is our generation. This is the moment you have given us, both as a church and as individuals. You will bring people across our path this week. You have planted people on our street who don't know you in our office, kid that sits next to me in algebra class, all because you want them to know Christ through us. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come, that you would teach us. Forgive me my sin. Don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to know this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Five brief verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 where Paul uh, lays out a little bit of his story of uh, his relationship with the church in Corinth. And I think it's a great springboard for us uh, as we consider what it means to go into our communities, whether uh, it's here in Kirkwood or or the surrounding communities and our office buildings and our schools, uh, wherever the case may be. In particular, you'll notice that it's going to relate to 2028 eventually. Uh, I haven't mentioned that yet, but we'll get to that part in just a little bit. Uh, But I want to start with this text because I think it lays a foundation for us which will be uh, encouraging uh, and hopefully also a bit motivational. So the title of the sermon is simply going, and I'm going to give you four aspects of this passage uh, as Paul sees going. Uh, The first thing I've said is going, what to leave behind. Uh, Paul says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Uh, just the, the first thing I want you to see there is, and, and I've underlined it, Paul says, when I came to you, Paul was in the habit of going. <laughs> Paul was in the habit of saying, what, what town am I entering next? Where, where's there a group of folks in, the, in, a, in a town, in a city, uh, in a metropolitan area who, who haven't heard the gospel yet? And Paul spent his life going. He was a tent maker by trade. He practiced his trade. In his letter to the church of the Thessalonians, he reminds them how much he worked there in his craft, in his trade. Uh, He did that also in Corinth. He spent two years uh, hanging out with the Corinthians and preaching the gospel, and he he plied his wares uh, in Corinth. So it wasn't that Paul was just a stump preacher, uh, that all he did was uh, 24-7 was be be a pastor He walked the streets. He engaged with people. He did business with folks, but all while he was going with the purpose of sharing the gospel. Paul was in the habit of going and seeing his life through that lens. Do I look at my own life through that lens? The crucial message he gave, however, was in practical terms. He says very clearly, I didn't come to you proclaiming to you a testimony of God with lofty speech or with wisdom. Now, Paul certainly could have done that. He was a highly educated man. He was a brilliant 
scholar. He understood the Old Testament uh, better than probably anybody I know today. He could come and speak in lofty terms. He could come and speak uh, with wisdom that would be maybe difficult to comprehend, but he came speaking kind of just the common vernacular. Paul was direct and to the point. He said, I I didn't come to you and and kind of mince words. I didn't come and speak in terms that were difficult or hard for you to understand. I tried to give you the plain truth of the gospel. I tried to come right to the point and not oversimplify, but keep the message simple and direct. So it should be of great encouragement to us. We don't have to be scholars to be going to people. We don't have to have years and years of study and education Are we simply willing to go and be representatives of Jesus and speak in a common tongue? Uh, I always always say, I don't want to be simplistic, but I do want to keep it simple. Uh, Maybe you've uh, read, I'm sure you've read, uh, you grew up in the United States, you've read, uh, you know, Longfellow's uh, uh, poem, The Midnight Ride of Paul Revere, which isn't all that historically accurate. He leaves out a bunch of other people that actually helped out and doesn't mention that Revere got captured by the British. But, But the beauty of that plot, which actually did happen in history, was pretty straightforward, right? One, if by land, two, if by sea. You really can't mess that up, <laughs> you know? As long as you don't kind of have the lanterns on a caddy corner where it kind of looks like maybe one. You have to put one there and one there. Pretty simple and straightforward. I like that. I can get my mind around that. If I'm the guy on the other shore watching, two, okay, I'm off and running. Now I know what I'm going to tell everybody, right? Paul says you don't have to have lofty speech. You don't have, Just come to the point. Talk to people in terms in which they can understand. So leave behind when you're going, leave behind any, any preconceived notion that you've got to be some kind of incredible scholar to talk to somebody about Jesus. But if Paul talks about what to leave behind, he also tells us what to bring along as we go. And he says this, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Christ crucified. That's the message of grace. That's the theme of the gospel. That, what, that is what sets Jesus apart as Savior and Lord. Jesus is not held up by us as a great teacher. He's not held up by us as a, as a miracle worker. He's not held up by us as a, as a sagely prophet. He is held up as Savior and Lord. He went to the cross and died because I need a Savior. I don't need a how-to manual. I don't need a booklet on self-improvement. I need something that will take my spiritual spiritually dead heart and make it alive in a way that is humanly impossible. And only Christ Jesus can do that. And so Paul says, I determined that I would know nothing but, but this, Christ and him crucified. Now, again, just what I mentioned a, a moment ago, Paul knew lots of other things. <laughs> Paul was a very wise person. He was a very well-studied person. He could have talked to you on a lot of different topics. He could talk to you about what it took to be a tent maker. He could talk to you about how to translate the Old Testament Hebrew into New New Testament Greek. He could have talked to you about the political climate of the day. Paul was an astute guy. But he says, I determined that I was going to keep my message central to God's message, which is Christ and him crucified. Paul had other opinions on a variety of subjects, but he did not get sidetracked. I think sometimes for us, it's, it's Jesus and the American dream. I think sometimes for us, it's, it's Jesus and patriotism. I think sometimes for us, it's, it's Jesus and being on the right side of certain social issues. And friends, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with patriotism. I think you should be a patriot. I think I should be 
a patriot. There's nothing wrong with having a position on social issues. We should have biblically informed position on social issues. But friends, our position on social issues and being a Republican or a Democrat isn't going to get anybody the message of the gospel. And so when we go, we take one thing and one thing only, and it's Christ and him crucified because everything else is a potential stumbling block. If I add anything to the gospel, I confuse the message. If I bring other opinions and views into the conversation, it may simply shut it off right then and there. If I offend you with the gospel of Jesus Christ, so be it. But God forbid that I would let anything else stand in the way of you having the opportunity to know that Jesus is Savior and Lord. Paul says, leave behind the lofty religiosity and, and, and the church speak and just take Jesus and introduce him to others. There's another part of this going that needs to be addressed, and I'm, I'm calling it the yes and the no of fear. Paul says, when I was with you, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Uh, th- this probably is, is my favorite verse in this chapter because it tells me that I've got a fighting chance. <laughs> It tells me that I actually have an opportunity to have an impact for the gospel. Because Paul's not kind of offering, you know, this this, aw shucks, false humility. You know, I was kind of weak when really he wasn't. Or I was a little bit scared and I I was kind of shaking in my boots. But everybody goes, well, he's just saying that to be nice. Because he he really, well, he was really bold and authoritative and the greatest speaker anybody had ever heard. And he was, you know, he's Billy Graham on steroids. And, and, you know, he's just a phenomenal public speaker. Paul's being honest about how he came to the Corinthians. I mean, think about Paul coming to Corinth. Corinth was, was a bit of a, of a Wild West town uh, in, the, uh, in the Roman Empire. Um, we, have this, uh, we have this saying, it's actually a, a, a marketing ploy uh, that, that markets sin, actually, is what it, it markets immorality. What happens in Vegas, what? You all, terrible people. How do you know that? <laughs> Right. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Come out here and you can have guilt-free sin and nobody will ever know. It'll be so great, right? Okay? And Paul's standing in front of Corinth at the gates of Corinth and, and, and Corinth was kind of like that town. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. You know, probably a lot of us are happy to go to a convention in Las Vegas, but we wouldn't necessarily want to go start up a church on the strip of Vegas. Paul's fear was very real. <laughs> Paul's trembling was an honest admission of the fact that Paul's like, this, this, this in little Antioch over here, this, you know, this in, in little Ephesus over here, this is, this is Corinth, this wild and woolly town. God, what are, we, what are we doing here? How on earth is this going to work in this place? And when Paul says, I came with fear and weakness and trembling, he wasn't kidding. And you know what? That's, that's good for us to know because it can be fearful to be relationally, relationally purposeful in order to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. If I said to those of your disciples this morning, take out a piece of paper and a pencil and write down you know, five names of people that, that you know, uh, probably from what you can see, you're not the judge, I understand that, but from what you can see, they don't know Christ. And then maybe they have more questions than answers. And they're a person that, that it would be great for you to go and sit down and have a cup of coffee with and say, you know, let me just tell you about my relationship with Jesus. We're good enough friends that we can have that kind of conversation. We could probably all come up with the names. But my guess is if we came back next Sunday, the five names might still be on the list waiting for our attention. I understand that what we're talking about here is a scary proposition. But it's 
an understanding of our emotions, it's not a reason to sit on the sidelines. Paul says, when I was with you. Paul didn't get to the front gate of Corinth and say, nope, not going in, and turn and walk away. Paul walked through the gate with his knees knocking together, saying, okay, Lord, this is where you have me. This is where I will go, and I will seek to be faithful. And as our knees may be knocking together at the thought of, of, of getting to know some folks and hanging out with people, maybe on a, on a different level, uh, get away from, from all of my Christian friends and maybe spend some time with others for the purpose of being available, uh, should the topic come up and share Christ, that probably makes us a little bit nervous. You're in good company. We like to think about Paul like super apostle, right? Could do no wrong. And here's Paul saying, I was shaking in my boots. Paul says, I still went. So it's not a reason for us to sit idly by, but it certainly encourages us that if, that if Paul could uh, be used by God, weak and, and trembling though he was, he could also maybe perhaps speak through us. Um, you guys know that I do a lot of stuff with hockey, and our, and our, uh, our high school team is playing some spring hockey, and I kind of take the offseason seriously, so I don't go to the rink that much, but we, we had a game at Kirkwood last night, which is two blocks from my house, so it's kind of hard to say no when it's two blocks from your house. But I'm driving up to the rink, and, and I did 13 years in youth ministry, and I, and I really enjoy high school students. I really do. And, and, I, and I, once I get going with them, um, I can, I can kind of have fun in their world. But every time I re-engage, it's a little scary. <laughs> and I'm driving up to the rink, and I'm going, okay, there's going to be, you know, 16, 17 guys there, and they're going to look at this 52-year-old guy and say, why on earth should we let you into our world, you know, other than you dictate how much time I get on the ice? And I had to kind of get myself through the doors again <laughs> to hang out with those guys and just to talk with them. And there was one of the kids that wasn't dressed. He wasn't playing, so I went down and sat on the edge, end of the bench and the defensive uh, captain said, what are we doing over here? I said, you, you run the bench. I'm going to talk to this guy for a little while. And we got to chat. I said, how are you doing? He goes, well, that's, you know, it kind of depends what you mean. How are you doing? I said, well, you know, how, how are your grades? He goes, grades are good. I said, good. I, how, 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 how are women? You got a gal in your life that actually thinks you're a halfway decent human being? He goes, yeah. She, she actually broke up with me a while ago. Her dad got mad at me, so we got back together again. Like, hey, that's, you know, that, you, you want to be the guy that dad likes. You don't want to be the guy that dad hates. That's never a good equation. Few dads that have daughters, I'm totally going off subject. Few dads that have daughters like 13, 14, they're getting into that dating age. Here's your sentence. When the young man comes to the door, which he shouldn't be allowed to until she's 16, that's not in the Bible, but trust me, that's accurate. Here's your sentence to that young man when he comes to the door. As long as you understand that I don't mind spending the rest of my life in a federal penitentiary, we're in good shape. <laughs> I, I'm living proof it works. I happen to be at an odd coincidence. There was a shotgun sitting by the front door. I don't know how that happened. But going back into their world, and, and at the end of the conversation, she said, well, I, I actually have some legal trouble. I said, you have some legal trouble? What's going on? He goes, well, I was in this little fender bender in the school parking lot the other day. I scratched this car. I'm like, well, that's not a big deal. So, you know, you got, you got to pay the deductible or whatever. You know, that's no big deal. He goes, well, coach, I, I think you forgot how old I am. I'm 15. <laughs> I love it. This is so great. I'm so glad I'm not your dad. Um, but he let me into his world a little bit. I'm just sitting on the boards having a conversation with him. And I, was, I really was scared to go back into the rink. Are these kids going to look at me like I have three heads? Paul gets the fear. Scripture gets the fear, but it's not a reason not to go. It's a reason to trust more in God, which is the fourth observation and the, and, and the last observation I'm going to make on this text, and that is going is in the power of God. Paul says, my speech and my message were not plausible words 
that says worlds. It should actually say words of wisdom. Uh, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul says, when I went, I didn't let fear have the last word. I put one foot in front of the other. I finally started up a conversation, and one conversation led to another, and that conversation led to a small group, and people became to come, began to come to Christ, began to, began to experience salvation, and those little groups turned into a small house church, which turned into the church in Corinth. Why? Because Paul was a great order? No. Because Paul was bold? No. Because Paul was smart enough to know how to put the argument together so they wouldn't have anything to disagree with and come to Christ? No. Because Paul came in the power of God. And it was through the Spirit of God and the power of God that people came to salvation. That's why if you go back to our study in Romans, Romans chapter 116, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It is the power of God for salvation. Friends, we need to remember we're the conduits of God's grace. We're not the current. The electric current is the Holy Spirit of God that will find its way into people's hearts. We are simply the vessels through which the message is to be shared. Salvation belongs to our God and to his spirit and to his power. I love this story about Kelly. I I love what what she writes when she came to faith. She began to share about how Jesus had become part of her story. And that is so true, and that is so great. But you know what the deeper truth is? She's been part of God's story all along. God didn't all of a sudden go, oh, I think I'll grab Kelly real quick now that she's asked me. God was already working in her life and her heart. How? Through a relationship with a friend she'd met through a sorority alumni club. (laughs) Not through going to church. Not through saying, boy, I've got some spiritual questions. I need to find some Christians who are going to answer. There's a steeple. I think I'll go over there. Because she was in a sorority club and she struck up a friendship with somebody and that person led her to Christ. The person was willing to go, but she went not in her own power, but she went in the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit. And that's the message for us. It's not just where are we going this week, but do we understand that we go wrapped in the righteousness and the power of Christ and our confidence is in him. It's not in ourselves. You probably have already noticed the, uh, the background. I mentioned 2028, uh, which we're, uh, we're kicking off sign-ups today. You've got a little brochure uh, in your Seasons Weekly. And our theme this year is Service for a Day, Relationships for a Lifetime, which I think is a really great, catchy phrase. Uh, but as we began to evaluate 2028 in the, in the last year and we began to look towards this year, uh, something struck us as, as we were looking at this. When I say us, the, the leaders of 2028... Uh, who are so gracious to give so much time. What struck us was that 2028 was actually insulating us from our neighbors. 2028 has actually become a device by which we can feel really good about serving others, but we never really enter into relationships with people that we're going to see on an ongoing basis. Now, when I say that, I'm thrilled that we support places like Lydia House, where women who are abused and families who are abused can go and can have shelter. And we're never going to stop trying to care for Lydia House. I'm thrilled that we have a day where we serve angel arms, people who graciously give so much of their time to care for the orphans in our state. So don't hear me saying those things are bad. Those things are amazing. We should continue and we will continue to partner with them. But what we realized is that we were doing that at the expense of saying, who lives across the street from me and what might they need? We were actually allowing this to keep us from even ever asking the question, I don't need to know my neighbors to be involved in 2028. And so we began to see a spiritual flaw in our thinking. 
and saying, we need to figure out a way to, uh, to help ourselves and to help our congregation engage with our next door neighbors, engage in the people down the street, engage with folks, not so that we can stand there and preach at them, but simply so that we can serve them, so that we can get to know them. Serve them for a day, but relationships for a lifetime. And so when you look at this brochure, you're going to see a section in here that talks about serve your neighbor. And in just a second, Lance Dillard, who is a member of Green Tree and a good friend, is going to come and talk about what that looks like in his neighborhood, what's going on on, on his block, and how he's seeking to, to take this passage of Scripture and apply it in a way that is simply very natural in his friendships with the people around him. And so as we kind of roll out this new way of, of thinking about 2028, which is going to be kind of a hybrid, we'll continue to have ministry partners, but we're going to start to ask the question of you and of me, who lives in my neighborhood? Do I know them? Where am I going this week? How can I serve them for the cause of Christ? So Lance, could you come and maybe share a little bit about how that, that works in your neighborhood and, and uh, give us a little bit of encouragement in this? So here are my notes. In this large paragraph, Tom just did that whole paragraph for me. So I think I'm going to be really short. So, uh, yeah, thanks. So I guess piggybacking off of what Tom said, taking a little bit further back, I just want to kind of set the stage a little bit more, I guess. In Genesis 1, we see uh, when God says, let us create man in our own image. We see the God right there, let us. We see the Trinity in existence. And we, that's the first time we see the Trinity even spoken about in the Bible. And we see that God is a relational God. And then he says, let us make man in our own image, which means we are relational people. We are created to be in relationships. And much like what Tom was talking about, Paul had, Paul's, uh, Paul's ministry was relational, relationally driven. And so our uh, ministry should also be relationally driven. And, that, and it's through those relationships that the gospel can be lived out and shared um, bit by bit in, in, in a natural way. And so kind of like what Tom was saying, in 2028 is we kind of took a step back and looked at what we've been doing. It's not that what we were doing was wrong or bad or anything like that. Angel's Arms, Lydia's House, all of those are great opportunities to serve. What I love about what we're doing this year is we're allowing you to take owner, more ownership of... Uh, these service areas. So when you think about people on your street, people in your neighborhood, people you work with, your coworkers, people you serve on boards with, whatever the case may be, we're giving you the opportunity to uh, take more ownership and to further invest in those relationships, thus laying the, uh, the foundation for relationships for a lifetime, which would uh, naturally allow you to share the gospel. So let me give you, some of you are going, what, is, what do you mean? Let me give you an example. So on my street, about a year ago, we had a family move in, husband, wife, two kids. She's a CPA. He serves in the National Guard. Um, being in the National Guard, he can volunteer to go to different theaters that the United States operates in. So Afghanistan, he's been there. He just recently got back from uh, Libya. And what he does is he flies those uh, planes that refuel the jets. Uh, 
So that's what he was doing over Libya to let the jets carry out the missions. Well, before he left to go to Libya, we had a conversation, I don't know, out on our street where he said, you know, I, I don't know, I'd really like to, I need to build a fence. I've got one side of my house covered by a fence that's kind of broken down. I've got two daughters and a dog, and I really need to put a fence. So I just filed that in the back of my head. Anyway, I went back, took that to some of my neighbors, and we had some conversations and, and decided, hey, let's go to this guy, let's go to this family, and let's say, hey, thanks for the sacrifice that you're making for serving us in our country. Let us serve you on this you know, one weekend, this one Saturday, and let us help you build a fence. Hopefully some of y'all will join us in doing that as well. So that's kind of uh, an example of what we're talking about. So what does this mean to you? Like, how does this relate to you? So I kind of broke it down into three areas, right? So you may be sitting out there going, that that sounds great. Um, But I don't really know my neighbors. Maybe I'm new to the neighborhood. Maybe this is a little bit uncomfortable. That's fine. We'd ask you to pray for your neighbors and get to know them. If they're out cutting the grass, bring them water. If you're my kids, bring them lemonade and then tell them they owe you 50 cents. Whatever the case may be. Um, Bring them cookies if they just moved into the neighborhood. Just get to know your neighbors because it's through those relationships that the gospel can naturally be spread. Maybe you're going, this sounds great. I'd love to do this, but I may not know of a need or not know know how to organize all this, but I'd like to kind of see what this is about. That's fine. You can join a team. So you could join us or other teams that are going to be out there um, serving in these neighborhoods or on these streets or, or whatever the case may be, and then we fully expect you to, do, to take ownership and do one next year. Uh, the third way would be, there's some people out there, like I talked to Nancy Pratt uh, this morning. Uh, there was a couple on her street that just had a, had a baby, so she's going to round up some folks and go clean their house. Some of, the, some of you, you're already thinking of needs. You're already thinking of opportunities and ways you can serve your neighbor. That's great. Right here. On the serve your neighbor portion, it says uh, there's a team registration. If you are in the you would like to join a team section or a serve your neighbor section and start heading up uh, a service opportunity on your street or in your sphere of influence, whatever the case may be, then fill this out. If you're the join uh, a team person, just put under project description, I'd like to join an existing team. If you're actually spearheading one, fill out the service project or whatever that you're going to do, uh, and turn it in. So we really, again, we love Lydia's house, Angel's Arms. We want you to serve there as well. Those are great opportunities. Um, But if this is something that appeals to you, we'd really encourage you to uh, serve your neighbor so that we can further those relationships. Thanks. Oh, I'm supposed to pray. He didn't tell me that. (laughs) All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for... Uh, positioning us and and putting us into places where we get to know people. Thank you for creating us to be relational. Thank you that we uh, already have these relationships through work and through just living life. And we ask that you would open our eyes uh, to opportunities that exist to serve our friends, our family, our colleagues, our neighbors, those on our street, those in need, uh, so that we can show them the love of Christ. Pray that we would have a servant, servant's heart in doing so. Uh, and I thank you for this time that we have together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.